theyeshiva.net. It's brought in Svadim that Lagba uh, Omer is the Matan Torah of Pnimius Atayda. Even though there's only one Matan Torah, Shvuas, Zman Matan Torah Seno, because by Matan Torah, the whole Torah was given, both Torah Sanigla and Torah Sanister, because it's one Torah. But in specifically, within that itself, Lagba Omer is uh, the unique time that there was the revelation of Pnimius Atayda. Because Rashbi, Rabbi Shimon Ben Yechai, who's Yachad is like Baimer, is called Marid the Pnei He was the the great master of Torah Sanister, who uh, who taught it to his students and ultimately bequeathed it to the Jewish people and to the world. So, uh, so like Baimer, it's very appropriate to uh, immerse ourselves in the Pnei Satera. Like Baimer is a special power. To be able to connect to the pnimius, to the to the nister, to that which is uh, beneath the surface, and yet also permeates the surface. So we're holding Pedek Gimel, right? Uh, the end of page eighty-two, Mamash on the bottom, Mem Aleph, column four. On top, it should say Bahar. Look at the title Bahar, eighty-two, all the way on the bottom of the page. You see, there's a kitzer. It's, it's literally a short abbreviation and a summation of the entire chapter. We learned yesterday that there's a fundamental difference between two concepts. One is called yesh meyesh, and one is called yesh meyayin. Literally, something from something or something from nothing. But it's not as simple as it sounds. Something from something, something from nothing. It's fundamentally a completely different reality. Yesh miyesh is something we're all used to. That's basically how the world runs, yesh miyesh. Yesh miyesh means every development is called yesh from another yesh. A child is born from a parent, that's yesh miyesh. A tree is born, a tree grows from a seed, is yesh miyesh. You invest a dollar or a hundred dollars in a company or in a stock. I don't know if it's a good idea, but hopefully there'll be a yesh miyesh. <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't go all to iron. <laughs> a piece of art is yesh miyesh. A piece of music is yesh miyesh. Everything, everything in this world, that's the paradigm. One thing emerges from another thing. Now, that emergence may not be simple. It, it may take a thousand years. It may take 5,000 years. <laughs> right? It's extremely complex. But as I said yesterday, the last yesh and the first yesh ultimately are deeply connected in a very identifiable way. Or to put it differently, the last yesh exists in the first yesh. It may take a thousand years to evolve, but that's only what's called gilu yahelem. It's just revealing the full potential. In Hebrew, it's called min hakoyach el apoyel, from potentiality into actualization. You know, from the blueprints, from the dream of the house, to the blueprints of the architect, to the contract, to actually finishing the house. How long does it take a month? Yeah? Some people wait a few decades. <laughs> but it's, it, w- when the final product is there, it's not yesh me'ayin. It's all from a previous, pre-existing reality, 
that had to be developed and actualized. That's yeshmiyash. It's true physically. It's true spiritually also. As he said, actions from words and words from thoughts. Emotions from ideas. And, and, and al Rebbe said even more. It's called ilava alul. The definition of ilava alul is that the alul is the ilah. It's just manifested in a different form. It's a very powerful idea. Every emotion is an idea. <laughs> we, we don't think of it that way. Every emotional sensation I have is an idea. It's just not a cerebral idea. It's an emotional idea, but it's an idea. There's a message there. right? It, and, and, and it's a beautiful concept because it gives you a little control. I don't mean control, not control in a bad, control in a good sense. It gives you agency. It's like you can own it. It's not some an emotion from nowhere. It's an ill of a It's coming from somewhere. Right? Yesh miyesh. It's called ill of a People were asking us on the comments, what's ill, what's alul? The word ill of is a term that's used frequently in the works of Jewish philosophy. In the Rambam and others. Ila and alul. Ila is the cause, the siba, and alul comes from the ila. It's the alul, the alulius. It's what emerges from it. But the al says, at some point, you have to get used to the concept of yeshmeyayim. <laughs> As he puts it here, it's all good till chachma. But to go above chachma, for here you need ayin. Ha-chachma, me'ayin all three words in Mishle. You have to be able to introduce that. And that's a very different paradigm. Because you're not going to find the yesh in the ayin. <laughs> what do you mean? So how did the yesh come from the ayin? That's a good question. But it's not that gradual development where you can identify in the seed of the apple, you can identify the apple tree. The roots, the trunk, the branches, the leaves, the flowers, and the apples. <laughs> And the seed in the new apples, which will, which will uh, reproduce and guarantee the continuity of the apple tree. Hopefully, Larichis Yama Vashanim Tevis. Ah? Chachma? So, Chachma is that first glimmer, that first glimmer of awareness that the relationship with its source is not identifiable anymore. doesn't mean it doesn't come from somewhere. Yesh comes from Ayin. But the relationship is not one in which you can identify the properties of the Yesh in the Ayin. Because what's Ayin? If you would be able to identify it, it would be another Yesh Miyesh. In physics, they call it a quantum leap, right? When an electron experiences a quantum leap. And it's not Hishtalshalus anymore. Hishtalshalus is a Shalshalus. Shalshalus means one rung is connected to the higher rung, which is connected to the higher rung, which represents that there is a recognizable uh, evolution. Yeah. Light is created when the electron is moving from one state to another state. Yeah. That creates earth. <laughs> Now, it looks like, you know, it's just philosophical, yesh miyash, yesh You have to understand, this may be one of the deepest arguments between Judaism and many, many other systems of thought for thousands of years. 
When the Ramban writes in the beginning of Bereshus, Bereshus Bara, the Ramban says, in Lashon Kodesh, when it says Bara, it means Yesh Meyayin, which he quotes here in Lekudah Torah. Bayre Kedosh. It's not Stam Avart, Yesh Meyayin, okay, something from nothing, find a for something from something. It creates, it's a different, it, it, it may be one of the most fundamental differences between Yiddishkeit and so many other systems of thought, religions or philosophies or ideas, until till this very day. You know why, right? You see why? Anybody sees why? why? <laughs> it's always hard, yeah. <laughs> you feel why, at least? <laughs> okay. But the feeling is on Allah, so let's go where that feeling is coming from. <laughs> Unless it's coming from Ayin. Yeah. Everybody likes to start with yesh. <laughs> you know why? When it's yesh me yesh, it's easier to explain. You could contain it. You can own it. It's safer. You could control it. You can even exploit it and manipulate it if you need to. Ah? Abigail was? Okay. But there's the deepest real. The re- deepest reason is this. You don't need real bittle. <laughs> For yesh me yesh, you don't need real bittle. Yeah. Now, Chachma is deep stuff. We, we don't under- yesh me yesh is no small thing. Yesh me yesh is everything. It, it makes the world run round. Every development in science, every development in biology and medicine, right? It's all. This is how we. This is how we. We uh, the human race. Uh, okay. Of course, of course. Teresh Balpeh from Teresh Bixav, of course. And the Teresh Balpeh. And if you don't understand that, it's very hard to understand the process, right? You know, one of the the, the challenges that exists sometimes in in education is that boys or girls don't understand the evolution, the hishtalshalos of Judaism, of halacha. So they don't know the difference between a minhig and a dairaisa, a dirabanan, a chumrah, a hidur, and a meshagas. You know, it's all the same thing. And if I have to let go of one thing because it's causing me crazy anxiety, so why not already, you know, uh, just eat pork? <laughs> What's the difference? You have to know... Right, and, and, and the truth is, we have to be thankful to all of the, the sages and all of the thinkers and all of the Bali Halacha and Bali Kabbalah that they, they wrote down everything. So there's nothing that can't be traced back. There's very few things in Judaism that can't, you can't identify who said it, when it was said, why it was said, in what context it was said, in what period it was said, for what purpose it was said, which is amazing. Because then you get the full picture. It's not like one day we decide, okay, no gebrachts, you know. No rice on Pesach, you know. Let's uh, wake up early before the Shoshana. When, why, what, who, which country. It's, it's very rich when you see that, because you see the full picture. So yesh yesh is no small thing. But in yesh yesh there's no real bittle. Why? Because the last yesh can be found in the first yesh. That's what yesh yesh means. It may take me a thousand. It may take me a thousand levels. I have to grow. I have to go back. 
but I can find me in the first yesh. Because yesh mi yesh means that the properties of the final product can be traced back at least to some in some subtle way. To the seed, to the seed. Seed money, seed of life, seed of the tree. What a seed is, a garin. Microscopically, in the garin, in the seed, you have everything that comes afterwards. This is true also emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And that's the value of yesh Mayesh. There's so much beauty to it. It's, it's the real appreciation of the processes of science, etc. Yesh Mayayin means... No, I understand. This, on a practical level, of course, this last yesh is so remote. But ultimately, if you study human thought, <laughs> it's a development. If Avram Avinu wouldn't have believed and taught the world that there's such a thing called laws of nature that are consistent, predictable, and most importantly, they work in synchronization with each other. In other words, that the universe and the planet has a theme, a unifying theme. The laws of nature work together, which is another word for God, of course. But it's really a word for science. You could study it. It's not random. It's not there's a crazy God of the wind and there's a crazy God of the weather and there's a crazy God of the sun and the moon and the ocean and they get into moods and they get into fights and they marry each other's sisters and kill each other. And the question is, which God you're going to appease? But there's actually, there's actually a, a theme that defines the planet, and every force of nature is part of that. Without that, you couldn't get to computers, <laughs> or to anything else. I know there were no computers by Avraham Avinu. When you say yesh me'ayin, though, yesh me'ayin means something else. How do I find my ayin? And the answer is, I have to let go of my I. <laughs> because my I, I will never find an ayin, because it's yesh me'ayin. It's something that comes from no thingness. So as long as I remain boxed into thingness, I could never go back to my own true identity, my own true mother, to my own true core, to my own true source. That's what the word bittel means. And here, for the thousandth time, but it still won't be enough, we learn what bittel means. Bittel doesn't mean self-nullification, even though it's exactly what it means, but it's the opposite of what it means. Bittel means encountering your ayin, but the only way I can encounter my ayin is by encountering who I really am. And the only way I can encounter who I really am is I have to let go of every last definition of me as thingness. But that's tough. <laughs> I don't mean tough as bad tough. Tough means it's challenging. It's very challenging. Right? I'm ready to go, yes, 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 I'm ready. Because I'm still going to be there. I don't have to really let go. I have to let go of chitzonius things. I have to let go of... of, of yeah, and that's important. That's, that's good. It's very powerful. But yesh is a different type of letting go. It's to find your atzmius in the ayin is of a completely different different nekuda. So if you want to say it in sharp words, the entire world did not agree with yesh because they always wanted to exist. <laughs> And yesh me yesh, you always exist. So are you 
Real, real bittel. Every growth is through bittel. There's no growth without humility, without stretching. Stretching requires bittel and it's painful. Even physical stretching, certainly emotional stretching. All growth requires bittel and therefore all science requires bittel. But there's bittel and there's bittel. <laughs> there's there's bittel from one yesh to a higher yesh and then there's bittel by Metzius, from yesh to ayin. It's a different type of bittel. Somebody who come, comes to the shiurim once wrote me an email and he wrote to me, <laughs> I'm just going to quote it verbatim, even though I usually don't use the word, it's, but it's a word in the dictionary. He said, when you really learn the Maimonim and you understand what yesh ayin is, you realize the level of bittel that's really, that's really a prerequisite to be able to appreciate what the Balatanya is saying. And at some point I say, hell no. Atka. And it's important to acknowledge that. Why? Because the world is not about going back to Ayin. Yesh Mayayin was part of the plan. So the question is, when I go back to Ayin with Bittl, I still have to hold on to my Yesh. And that, according to the Alter Rebbe, is where so much of the secret of life is. To be able to vacillate between two states of consciousness. Because just to go back to Ayin, that's not the Venaviyu. They also wanted to go back to Ayin. How? Not, if you're not alive, it's always easier. That, 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 that was a sin. <laughs> that was a sin. Bittl can also be a sin. And can also be psychologically. The reason it's a sin, because it can be psychologically damaging. Because the yesh is also real. Practically speaking, when you tell a person, you know, forget your emotions, forget your thingness, you know, you're holding on to certain stuff, you're dealing, forget, bittel, iron, doesn't exist. It's very romantic, right? But long term, we'll ask the therapists here, <laughs> how beneficial is it? The yesh is going to come back to bite you so hard. <laughs> going to schlep you away from that. Right? You know what that means. Don't run up to the mizbech on steps. Go on a ramp. Because if you run up on steps, one day you fall down very hard and the erva gets exposed, which means you stop trusting. Because I can't just go to I. You have to hold on the yesh to the yesh, you almost have to hold on to two parts of yourself. The search for ayin is a search for unity. It's the search for meaning. It's the search for purpose. It's the search for God. It's the search for love. It's the search of real attachment. Real attachment is not yesh. Real attachment is ayin. It's not. We just use different words because we don't want to ruin it to anybody. When people hear the word God, it comes with a lot of issues. When they hear the word ayin, it's a new word. They can be open to it. <laughs> My brother told me, he used to give a class for secular, he gives a class once a week for very secular Jews for many, many years in Manhattan, till Corona. So uh, there was a lot of Bohemian Jews from the rock and roll world, from the musical world. Interesting people. Very, very Bohemian and very far, you know, the furthest away from religion possible. Right? Like the furthest away from the culture of religion. So he never used the word God. He says, you couldn't. It was, you know, they were just... So he always used the word, you know, um, non-existential states of existence. 
or undefined reality, you know, or the all-pervasive energy that is imminent and transcendent, all these words, that which can't be defined as yes or not. So after a few weeks, one of them, his name is Himmelman, today is Pesach Mardachai Himmelman, he's Bob Dylan's son-in-law, he's about Tshuva today, he's Peter Himmelman, he's a very big rock uh, celebrity. So he comes over to him and he says, by the way, all this, are you talking about God? <laughs> so he said, yeah, but shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. You're going to ruin it for a lot of people. You could use the word Hashem, but for us, God is also yesh. <laughs> when we say God, it's also yesh. It's my picture. It's my picture of God. There's the picture on the refrigerator. You want to go out of pictures. And that's what ayin is. Ayin is you have to go out of pictures. Not physical pictures, spiritual pictures. <laughs> physical pictures we can go out of. That's why all the philosophies in the world, they wanted that the beginning is a yesh. And everything else is yesh miyesh. The Big Bang, the Big Bang theory, which came out in the 1920s, in the 1960s, was virtually verified because we can hear we can hear unbelievably the effects of the sounds, only in the 1960s, really shook up the system of yesh miyesh. Because <laughs> the Big Bang, in one word, means bedacious. There's a beginning. Aristotle and all the great Greek philosophies, it was partial. The oilam is a kadmine. Whatever exists, always existed. On some level, there was a yesh miyesh. That first primal mover, call him Hashem, call him God... That that yet the yesh of the world always existed, and then there's yesh miyesh. Of course, but they couldn't come back. They couldn't come back. Rabbi Akiva nichnas b'shalom v'yotzer b'shalom. Of course, of course, of course. When you're taking somebody to that place, they want to let go of every yesh, but you have to hold on to the yesh. In other words, any experience that I'm having, any emotional experience I'm having. To speak very tangibly, frustration, anger, loneliness, pain, shame, right? Resentfulness, animosity, envy, jealousy, happiness. Ooh, that's an emotion. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you. They don't come to me with that. Huh? Anybody ever came into your office and said, just wanted to tell you I'm happy. Okay, that will be $250. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> my wife did tell me that my problem, one of, one of my problems is that I get too many emails of doom and not enough positive emails, so it, it colors the nature of my uh, presentations. I hear? Okay, thank you, Reb Nechemia. There's a book called The Happiest Man on Earth by Eddie Jaku. Eddie Jaku was a Holocaust survivor and he wrote a book called The Happiest Man on Earth. He wrote it on his, on his 100th birthday. The Happiest Man on Earth. He was in Auschwitz. He lost much of his family. Stop. It's a fascinating story. Eddie Jaku. Avram Yakubovich was his name. But Eddie Jaku, it became Eddie Jaku. How do we get into this? Oh, yes. Yeah. So happiness. Happiness too. Any emotional experience, right? It's always, it's always, it's, it's ilav olol. 
It's ilava alo. Huh? The yesh is real, right? But if you if you go back to the ayin, in the ayin there's bliss, there's ecstasy, there's ain't soif. So there's a temptation just to go back to the ayin. But that's also not Yiddishkeit. You still, as you're going back, you have to hold on also to the yesh. What does the, the yesh mean? The way the ayin is embodied in this particular very limited and very babyish, very babyish form. I'm not a baby. <laughs> a part of me is a baby, and that's fine. Because the tachlis is not no yesh, the tachlis is achtos between yesh and ayin, as we will see in the Hemshech of the Maimah. So that's also a very important balance. As long, but as long as the world is yesh miyesh, it means that the I always exists. I never have to let go. Yesh meyayin is the concept of bitl. Yesh meyayin means that really, 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 I don't exist. What, and what does that mean, I don't exist? In order to... Don't hear, it, don't hear this with trauma. When people hear I don't exist, it, 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 it could be bad words. It means for me to really exist, I don't exist. You understand? <laughs> That's what you see the difference. This is where a lot of confusion happens when people learn these stuff. They think bitl means I don't exist. So everybody told me my whole life I don't exist. I'm not going to come to a class that's also going to tell me I don't exist. You get it, right? So we always have to. So you have to define it in order for me to exist. <laughs> I have to cease to exist. That's what ayin means. Not because not I don't want you to exist, because I want you to exist. <laughs> For me to really, really exist, what does it mean to really exist? For me to really be attached with who I am, if it's yesh yes, I could remain in my box. If it's yesh ayin, I have to open myself up to true infinity and melt away in the ecstasy of oneness, but not even in its experience, in its truth. Because experience of ecstasy is euch ganz Sometimes the worst. Huh? So it takes the ultimate confidence. And yet, and yet, I can't just escape into it. I have to hold on. One search from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, it is a Mishnah in, in Sukkah, that by Simchas Beis HaSheva, the Tanoim used to juggle. Reb Shimon ben Gamliel, who was the Nasi of the Sanhedrin, he was considered the Gadol Hadar, he would have eight Shmoina Vukashalar, eight torches, you know how they do by the Chasanas, but not two and not four, eight, and he would juggle at Simchas Beis HaSheva. And then the Gemara goes through all these Amirayim, Levi and Abaya, the greatest. Who were, this one juggled eggs, and this one juggled cups of wine. <laughs> this one juggled torches. Now, imagine today, you'll have, I don't know, the top uh, sages of the generation coming and starting to juggle, right? So, everybody will be very... Uh, but, but apparently the Mishnah didn't feel that way. The, the greatest were juggling. But he said, what's up? Like, what was the Indian? So you say it was time for fun, but the Mishnah brings it as part of Simchas Beis Hasheva. That means that it was a pspar. So he explained the beer, a whole the, a, um, unbelievable beer about it. I just want to say one, one Nakuda. The Nakuda was, he says, juggling is essentially the Nakuda of Avedus Hashem. When you juggle, one part is up, but the other one is down. 
but it can't stay that way too long. <laughs> the part that's up comes down, and the other part goes up. Ratzi v'shoiv. So he says, to be able to live a life of Simchas Beis HaShayeva, there is that paradox and that ability to vacillate. One part of the soul is connected to Ayin, and another part of the soul is connected to Yesh. And you can't compromise either. In juggling, let's just throw everything up. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it goes up, and then it comes back down. You see? So it's really, it's really a picture of life. It's a picture of life. So you have to be Tzugebun and Eiben. And yet there's also Unten. So there's the manifestation of the Yesh in whatever I'm experiencing right now. And that's, that's part of life. I have to, the way out of pain is through pain. The way out of the Yesh is through the Yesh. That's a new one. The way out of the Yesh is through the Yesh. Because if not... I'm denying a major part of reality. It's not like yesh is just a, a chalam. It's not a chalam. <laughs> Maybe you could call it a chalam, but that chalam has power. <laughs> Maybe it's a chalam, but the chalam has real power. What did he want to say? Rabbi Yosef. Ah, Tasa. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Since the yesh is only a particular manifestation of the ayin, so to be true to itself, it can't remain a yesh. Beautiful. Today, the big thing in psychology is attachment, connection. Why? Why do we want to? Everybody needs attachment. That's the Yisaida Yisaidas. And if you're more lonely, it's because you need more attachment. And if you feel you hate people more and you're allergic to people, it's because you really need attachment. <laughs> and I was wounded, so therefore I run away from everybody. Huh? You need real attachment, not fake, not drugs, and not websites, and not even my clips. Real attachment with another person, and it's going to be vulnerable. So, if you'll say, but why? Why is this? So, evolutionary psychologists will say, very simple. We used to be hunters <laughs> and foragers, and you can't hunt alone. You need to have groups. <laughs> so, part of evolution is we have to work together, right? 72,000 years ago, when I was hunting together with you, I couldn't sit at a computer and send you messages on WhatsApp, like today, and be lonely, and sit in an ivory tower and sell buildings in Rockland County or Teaneck. I had to be with you climbing trees and hunting chimpanzees or tigers. And hopefully one of us survived. Right? You remember? You remember the good old days? You remember, yeah? Yeah? It was like yesterday. You're saying some of us are still doing it. We're still hunting for food. <laughs> we just go to restaurants, cafeterias. We're still hunting for food. There was a teenage girl who committed suicide. So at the funeral, there were very few people there. So the mother is crying and the mother says, on Facebook she had 4,000 friends. Where are they? attachment. She had 4,000 friends on Facebook. The mother didn't know a lot about Facebook. Where are all these friends? What's the real idea of attachment? The real idea of attachment is if everything is ain't safe, so it's one. So attachment is the only reality. There's no reality outside of attachment. 
We learned the Maimah from the Tzamech Tzedek last week, uh, two weeks ago, you remember, about a Balmum. He says, why did the Arizal, unbelievable word, why did the Arizal said that before davening you should say, so the Samach Tzedek says, because in Parshas Emir it says that an animal that's a Balmum, it can't become a carbon. It has to have all of the components of its organism to go up to God. Why? Why? <laughs> what, the animal's fault? It's missing, it's, missing a, a, it's missing a limb? It's the animal's fault? What the sheep is, is a horrible sheep? And what if it was born that way? And what if it was an accident? I mean, what, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. God should be the one who should welcome the sick and the, the broken. Right? So, 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 so the Tzermach Tzedek says, Amayr de Kavart. Because if you're going back to God, you can't amputate any part of the self. Because that means you're not going back to Hashem. Because if you're going back to Hashem, everything has a place there. So he says, a, a tefillah is a carbon. If I go up to davening and I cut out one person from my life, I'm a balmum. A balmum, you can't be a carbon, you can't daven. That's a moida de kavart. You hear? So that Rizal said, before you daven, make sure you didn't amputate any part of yourself. And we're all one. There is attachment. If you want to go back to the source of oneness, if part of me is unwelcome, it's great. If somebody comes to me, if I invite him for Shabbos, he says, I'll come to your table, but make sure your child is not there. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. I was last week at Kesha Nafshi. So Friday we had a session, myself and Rabbi Shimon Russell. So a mother asked, she has a child who left Yiddishkeit, and uh, her sister's making a wedding. And the child doesn't come with a yamulka. And the girl doesn't come, uh, mamash, you know, uh, according to the basic of standards, in terms of dress. And the sister said, you know, if they're not going to come dressed uh, appropriately, don't bring them to the wedding. So the mother asked Shimon Russell, what should she tell her sister? So he said, tell your sister that I understand your pain very, very much, and I'm also not going to come to the wedding. I'm also not coming to the wedding. And, and, and don't blame yourself. It's fine. It's very painful that your niece or your nephew are going to be like this at the wedding. And I understand. And I'm really not judging you. I love you and I cherish you. And I'll come celebrate the night before and the night after. But I have to be there with my child. So the mother was in, was in shock. It's my sister. She's going to be so offended. She said, your sister may be offended, but it's not pikuach nefesh for your sister. For your children, if they're not attached to you, it's pikuach nefesh. They have to feel that they come first. Now, obviously, you have to know exactly the circumstances. If the children are really fine with you going, then you don't have to miss the wedding. But the point is that those children should feel that they come first. So the vart is, in oneness, I, can't am- I don't amputate anything. And if I am, I'm not going back to the core. So in real ayin, there's complete achtos, there's complete attachment. But we're not only attached, we're also separate. Because it's yesh <laughs> And that's also true. Authenticity doesn't mean I don't exist. Authenticity means I know how to juggle existence and non-existence. That's authenticity. Authenticity means I is emes. And yesh is also part of emes. I said part of emes. It's also part of emes. 
How can both be MS? Ah? Huh? Right. Because Yesh is also from Ayan. Yesh limits the Ayan, that's true. It puts it into a Yesh, a thing. That's the quantum leap. And therefore, for the Yesh to really be a Yesh, it needs to be able to go to Ayan. Which is why the Yesh is very, very threatened by Ayan. Which is why Yesh Mayayan was the revolution of Avramavinu. And in more, in more tangible ways of the Alter Rebbe. But the concept, the concept is that it's really freeing for the Yesh. It's not, the people are afraid of Ayin because where am I going to be? Fakert, you'll be, you'll be. But the being is going to be a different type of being. Yes. You're saying Judaism is also Yesh me Yesh. Hashem is the original Yesh. But we don't call that an original yesh, we call it ayin. <laughs> yeah, because no thingness. The original yesh, I could find my ego in the original yesh. In the original ayin, I can't find my ego. If I want to say this harshly, I don't say it usually. In yesh me yesh, you ultimately exist. In yesh me ayin, you really don't exist. And therefore the instinct is, as this person wrote to me, hell no. Atkan Akafa Aleph. It means it 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 it's very humbling. It's very very. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's awkward almost. It's it's it's. What do I mean? You don't exist. It's like the ray of the sun in the solar core. It's not a drop from water in the ocean. But the water exists in the ocean. Fakert, the ocean is made up of drops. The Gemara says in Hodeus, Rabbi Yeshua said, I could tell you how many drops there are in the ocean. <laughs> he was an unbelievable mind. He said, I can estimate how many drops there are in the sea. He was trying to bring out a point. Obviously that's a mushal, but it's not the Indian of Ayin. That's not the Indian of Ayin. The Gemara says in Chul, in Ramayahani, don't light a candle in the middle of the day, because it's insignificant. Again, it's a mushal, but again, it's not Ayin. It's not visible. Ayin is a different Indian. You won't find the Yesh in Ayin, and that's why the world has to be created every moment, by the way. Why does the world have to be created every moment? This Dalt Rebbe says in Tanya, Why? The Balshamtiv used to teach that Mechadish, but we say in Davening, Mechadish Batuvi Bacholya, why? So here the word. Yesh me yesh, you never have to recreate. You know why? Because its existence is innate. When an artist takes canvas and takes pigment and takes a feather, takes a feather, takes a quill, and paints a picture, he doesn't have to recreate the painting every moment. When a goldsmith or a silversmith or a carpenter takes wood or silver or gold and turns it into a candelabra or a table, they don't have to recreate it every moment. Why does God have to recreate a world every moment? He made a beautiful world. Go on vacation. Go to Hawaii. Go to Muncie. Wherever you want. Why do you have to recreate it every moment? Yesh me yesh really exists. <laughs> the second yesh is a development of the first yesh. If the first yesh exists, then the second yesh can exist independently. You need the artist or the carpenter to bring out the potential, to take the wood and turn it into a table, to turn it into a bookcase. But once the bookcase exists, it exists. Yesh me ayin. 
No, every moment, of course. Oh, but it's fakert in a way. It's truer because it's recreated every moment. <laughs> in a way, it's truer. The real yesh is truer because it's recreated every moment. In other words, God every moment consciously says, "I want yesh me'ayin." That's why you don't have to be afraid of it. In a way, it brings out the frailty of it, the nothingness of it, but also the toikif of it. You understand? Because he's bothered, he, he's, he, he's deliberately creating it every moment. <laughs> it's not a position, you know, I made a decision sometime, okay, let, let it go. It's not let it go. You're right, it brings out the frailty and the strength simultaneously. But you understand why it has to be recreated every moment? Because yesh from ayin, why should the yesh exist? <laughs> it can't be identified in its source. So there's nothing but him. So if you want a yesh, you have to... Uh, I'll give you a simple marshal. It's not a good, it's not a perfect marshal, but it's, it's something. It's a professor, a neuroscientist at McGill University. His name is Professor Brower, Dr. Yaakov Brower. He has a book called Something from Nothing. So he, he has this marshal there. It's a very nice marshal. You ever notice people daydream? You know what a daydream is, yeah? If you sat in yeshiva for many years or in shul, you become an expert. That's why non-Jews are not such experts in daydreaming. But Jews are big experts. Yeah? You sit, even now, as I'm talking, there's somebody in a daydream. But there's one person daydreaming, and I'm sorry for disturbing. Now, daydreams are very interesting because they feel very real, right? In a daydream, you can travel somewhere. You could be in a particular place. You could see the people. You could smell the smells. You can feel sensations. You can hear sounds. You can see images, right? And you could even get excited or nervous. You could be in an airplane. You could be in a stadium. You could be in a marketplace. You could be in a museum. Wherever it is, you could be an auditorium. And you could even see the people. You can hear what's going on. And yet, it's all a figment of your imagination. It's a daydream. And when the shear is over, <laughs> I say, okay, have a wonderful day. Suddenly, oh, you come out of the daydream. And what happens to the 30,000 people you saw in the stadium? Where are they? They're gone. <laughs> And what happens to the hot dog you're eating? It's also gone. Why? Where are they? Very good. If you want your daydream to continue, what do you have to do? Keep thinking. And what if you stop thinking for one moment? Why? What happened? If I stop thinking about you, you still exist, hopefully. Yeah? Baruch Hashem. Why am I daydream if I stop thinking... If I come back to this room, they're all gone. Where did they disappear? What's the answer? Nuzog, what's the answer? They have no existence outside of me thinking about them. That is their existence. They are my brain waves. That's what they are. They are my thoughts. They don't have an existence outside of me creating them through my thoughts and in my thoughts. That is their existence. So you say, when you stop thinking about them, they should still exist. Who should still exist? It's you! That's Yeshmei 
Yesh mi yesh is not you. Yesh mi yesh, it exists. I'm the carpenter. I built it. Very nice. You get your money, you made it up, and now it exists. Yesh mi ayin, it's you. You hear? You hear the word? Huh? This is one of the Yesaidus Achsidus, huh? The Yesh and the Daydream are the 30,000 people you met in the stadium. Or the business partner you met at the meeting. Of course it's a marshal because, because the stadium is being built from a stadium that you once saw and the 30,000 people you once saw, either a picture. You're using pre-existing stuff, right? And it's your brain waves. But it's a shtickle marshal that they don't have their own substance and therefore if you don't recreate them every moment in your mind, they're going to cease to exist. And it also means, I want to ask you a question. If somebody comes to me and says, Rabbi, why, why I'm feeling lonely? Am I going to tell them, just daydream about 10,000 people and you won't be lonely anymore? It's foolish advice. Why? Because daydreaming doesn't remove you from your loneliness because it's all you. So when the Alter Rebbe says, "Ani Hashem loishanisi atu kaidem shirim atu lachish nevnoelam einoid mulvadoi," Hashem is one after existence. What do you mean? There's a world. If it's yesh miyesh, it would take away achdus. But if it's yesh miyayin, it's einoid mulvadoi. You can have 40, 45,000 people in your daydream. It's still you. I just 45,000 people. It's not 45,000 distinct people. It's all manifestations of you. Your fears, your thoughts, your dreams, your mishagas, and your fantasies. Whether good, I'm not, I'm not getting into the nature of the daydream. If it's projecting fear or it's projecting hope. That depends where you are. You'll work it out with your therapist. What you daydream about. <laughs> But daydreams are spontaneous. We don't realize when they're happening, right? You're sitting, you're bored. <laughs> At least not the first. There was once a mashpia, so he was fabreng, and he was telling the bachim, you know, how do you have the chutzpah? That a whole shmeina esther, you're thinking about something else. And then at the end, you say, The words of my mouth should be pleasing for you. And the thoughts of my heart should be embraced by you. Where do you have such a chutzpah? So the Bacher said, why do you think that by Yehul Eratzen, we are thinking? Yehul Eratzen, I'm also daydreaming. Till Isa Shalom, I daydream. You know how it is? And then you're like, oh wow, that Shemunah was fast. You went to Australia, you went to Israel, you went to Russia, you even went to Ukraine. In your daydream, you can go to Ukraine too. Autopilot, you could go first class, the food could be good. You could go shopping, it's cheap, you could return it if you want, you could keep it. It's a machaya. Why? Because you don't need anybody else, because there's nobody else, it's you. So yesh meyayin is, is a tremendous yesoit, you see? It explains bitl. It tells you why they were allergic to Judaism. It really explains anti-Semitism. <laughs> That's the core of anti-Semitism. What do people have against Jews? What, that we like to golf? That we like to eat Chinese food and sushi? Some Jews like money. Everybody likes money. What, what, what is it really? Nobody knows. Nobody still knows what is this. 
But the real thing is because some people, when you see them, they remind you that you're ayin. <laughs> so either you love them or you hate them. The Herst. Whenever you encounter a person who reminds you that you're ayin, either you love them <laughs> or you hate them. You can't be neutral. Why should you love them? Because they, because they, ah, huh? <laughs> they you, and also because they, they open you up to the truth. But anybody who opens you up to truth, you either hate them or you love them, right? That's why marriages are so hard for people. <laughs> Your spouse usually says the truth. Not everybody, but very often. Either you love them or you don't. <laughs> I didn't want to say the opposite. Huh? Your children too. Children, it's, you have a hard time hating because they're cute. But at some point, they stop being cute. <laughs> it's different. Huh? Yeah. A, 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 real, a real tzaddik can create tremendous opposition. Why? It's not that he creates the opposition. Maybe the, the kindest person who ever lived. But people feel very... If, if he's a representative of Ayin, it means I'm also Ayin. That's not good. So if I could dismiss him, I could be a Yesh. It's a rather esoteric concept, though. It's very esoteric. Of course they don't have an idea. And everybody I hate, I know why I hate. You're right. Of course it's super rational. Of course it's super rational. But this is the truth. Because anti-Semitism is anything but rational. I can understand that for a hundred years in a particular country, people hated Jews because they were very successful. When you look at anti-Semitism, it's been around since the first Jew lived. It's been directed towards rich Jews and poor Jews. If you're religious, we hate you. And if you're secular, we hate you. If you convert to Christianity, we still hate you. If you win the Nobel Prize and you help society, we still hate you. Jews were accused and hated because they were part of society or because they were segregated from society, because they wanted to take over the world or because they weren't interested in the world, because they believed in God, because they didn't believe in God, because they were cosmopolitan, because they were isolated, because they were wealthy and because they were poor and smelly, because they want to infiltrate and because they're weird and archaic. So what is it? It's like a mutation of a virus. So, so you have to explain, and it was even in countries that they never met Jews. <laughs> and it's Ada Yoimazel with the same power. So every generation we have an excuse. Now it's Israel. If there was no Israel, we would love Jews. Sure. And what was it 80 years ago? Why were 6 million Jews killed? Because they were destroying Germany. Because they were destroying Europe. And 200 years ago, why were they, why were they killed? Because they're destroying nationalism and romanticism. And a thousand years why they were killed? Because they poisoned the wells. And a thousand years before, because they killed God's child, so to speak. So if you want to get to the MS, so it's all true, yes. Nebuchadnezzar didn't like Jews. Pare didn't like Jews. (laughs) 
it always assumes a reason. Because Israel is occupying the Palestinian people. So you could, you could get into specific reasons each generation. But at Haman, what was bothering Haman? We spoke about the, the void. You remember the pit and the, the, the bala, balachritz, balatel, the Gemara Megillah. We're getting, I'm discussing here the nekudah, the real nekudah. I'm talking the ayin of anti-Semitism. Yeah, not the yesh of anti-Semitism. Beyond what the guy knows. Yeah, beyond what the guy knows. What he feels in his bones. What, what, why did Hitler hate Jewish children? What did they do to him? I understand a Jewish adult, a successful uh, German banker, he feels is competing. So a little girl from, 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 what, what, what did she do to you? So you say he hated them. A lot of people hate children of their enemies, but he took away the resources that he needed for the war to kill every last child. That means the hate was more than the need for success. As long as there's a Jew, I can't live. What is it? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Assimilated Jews, the same, the same passion, like the most religious, uh, holy uh, Rosh Hashivas, Rebbe Sadikim, the same passion. Half the Jews who were killed in the Holocaust were probably not religious, right? I don't know the exact number. There's a journalist in Israel, his name is Tzvi Cheskeli. Tzvi Cheskeli has been a journalist for many years, very successful, a sec- completely secular Jew, completely. And his chush was, he would go into the Arab uh, Arab communities and even strongholds of terrorists, and he would hang out with them. As a journalist, sometimes even undercover, he once dressed up as a Muslim sheik so he could really go everywhere and he interviewed people and he made exposés. A very interesting person. He really wanted to know the other side. And Israel once killed... One of the top uh, op- uh, terrorist operatives from uh, from Al- from uh, Al Aqsa Al Aqsa group or Muslim Brotherhood in Jenin. So there was a huge funeral, and Tzvi Chaskele decided he's going to come as a journalist to cover the funeral in Jenin. This this leader who was killed had an assistant, Zacharias Zvaidi, an Arab, an Arab, a Muslim. And he decided that day that the first Jew who he sees that day, is gonna, he's going to kill him. He sees an Israeli journalist, he shoots him. At the funeral. The bullet went over his head. And Zivaydi decided that he's not killing him. For whatever reason. Cheskeli was saved, they took him out, whatever, they rescued him. And uh, he decided he wants to interview his assassin. And he put it on video. And he went, he got permission from the guy who, 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 who didn't murder him, wanted to murder him. And they sat with, he sat with him and he asked him all types of questions. And then he said, why did you want to kill me? He said, I decided the first Jew I'm going to kill. So he said, "Why me? I'm, 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 I'm completely. Uh, I'm not your enemy." He says, "Who are you?" He says, "I'm a secular journalist. I could sit with you and enjoy your culture." He says, "I can eat a slaughtered sheep together with you. 
He says, okay, but who are you? He says, my name is Tzvi Cheskeli, I'm of this. He says, who are you religiously? What do you belong to? What do you believe in? He says, oh no, I don't believe in anything. I'm not primitive like you. I'm not primitive like you. I don't believe things. I'm an open person. I'm a journalist. So he says, well, when I see you, I see a Jew. And that's why I wanted to kill you. So he says, being a Jew doesn't mean anything to me. I'm a secular Israeli. There are Arab Israelis. The fact, I was born to a people called a Jew. But it's not really who I am. And the man looked him in the eyes and said, wow, that's a pity. Because you almost got killed for something that you're not. You're a Jew, and you almost got killed for something that you're not. What a pity. At least if you would have died, it should have been for something that you are, not for something that you're not. Tzvi Cheskeli became a baltruva from those words. <laughs> Today's a baltruva. Ayid mitabardin peyes and ayamulke. From those words, from this Ritzayach, Shari Zvaidi, you could look it up. Is at least you should die for who you are, not for who you're not. <laughs> you hear? You're right. You're right, but for how long? And then the Almohads came to, to, to Spain. Fine. You're right. But in, when, you, when, you, when you see that a hatred persists in every generation, from, every, from so many cultures to so many types of Jews, you have to ask, is there one common denominator? So if I see somebody persistent, I have to make gas chambers for their kids? These people have economic success. I'm jealous, so that's why I put them in gas chambers. I'm jealous of somebody, so I build gas chambers. So I have to behead you. So I'm just bringing out that the, the, the hatred is coming because in the Jew you encounter something that's truly transcendent. Yeshaya Hanavi put it in two words. <laughs> he said it best. Atem Eidai, Neum Hashem. Hashem says, you're my witnesses. That's it. <laughs> they used to say, kill the witness, right? Kill the witness. What does the mafia say? Kill the witness and everything will be good. That's it. Atem Eidai, you're my witness. The Jew says, I'm not witness. I just lived. I just want a coffee and go make money. The anti-Semite says, no, 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 no. At least if you're dying, die for who you are. Don't die for who you're not. You're a witness. The Jew says, you got the wrong guy. I'm no witness to anybody. I'm trying to be a witness to myself. <laughs> but there's the MS of it. So in, in, the, in the language of Chassidus, it's the Nekudah of Ayin. And what's Ayin? The point is, there's no answer to what's Ayin. It's not what's. <laughs> It's that ultimate existence. To really get in touch with your ultimate existence, you have to let go of existence. Huh? Emunah is the bridge. It's the portal to Ayin. That's what Emunah means. Yesh doesn't need Emunah. We, oh, again, Emunah is the same thing. We translate Emunah as blind faith. That's a terrible, terrible translation. It sounds like you're dumb. And unintelligent. So any cult 
hijack you, you know, tell somebody, believe with blind faith. Okay, so close your eyes, be blind, and I'll sell you the Brooklyn Bridge and the Tappan Zee Bridge and the Williamsburg Bridge too. That's not emuna. Emuna means that the yesh reaches its ultimate capacity, and whatever I can grasp, I grasp, because I have to grasp. The Rambam begins in Sefer, Mishnah Torah, Yisoyda Yisoyda Zvamud HaChachmas, Leida Sheyesha Matsurishan, not Lahamin. The foundation is to know there's a Matsurishan, there's a first existence, a source existence. Vuhu Mamtsi Kol Nimtsa, Vuchala Nimtsoyim Shamayim Avarit Zamashim Benayim, Loi Nimtsu Elama Mitasi Matsay. Beautiful words of the Rambam. That Matsurishan is responsible for every existence, and anything that exists is a manifestation, is an, emerged from that MS, from that truth. He says, Yisoida, Yisoida, this is Leida. But after the Yesh goes back to the first Yesh, which is a tremendous accomplishment, if I can even get there, because I usually can't. I can maybe go back two steps, three steps, yeah? You know who your grandfather is. How many people know who their great, great, great grandfather is? They can't even name them. Most people can't even name their great, great grandmother. Right? So we go back a little bit. But even when you go back, Emuna is the quantum leap from Yesh to Ayan. Emuna is not intellectual laziness. <laughs> I'm dumb, so you could sell me whatever you want to sell me. No. Emuna is the recognition that to put reality into an intellectual box is dumbing down yourself and reality. And therefore, it's the stupidest thing. You hear? It's a quantum leap of intellectual honesty, or to use other words, just like yesh ayin was a quantum leap, that's downward, and upward, it's emuna. <laughs> emuna doesn't mean, I don't think, I don't question, I don't investigate, I don't want to understand. Emuna means, I want to understand as much as I can. But then I open myself up to the mystery and I'm not going to dumb down the mystery so I could just fit it into my box. Because that's not intellectually uh, sound to do. In other words, real seichel says that there's something in a seichel. People don't like that, because that means that my ego has to stop somewhere. I don't want it. I want to control everything. So you'll ask them, the Big Bang, 15.3 billion years ago, what caused the Big Bang? What, what, what happened before the Big Bang? How did that original prebiotic uh, soup or cholent? I like cholent. It's good to know that cholent existed before everything. Maybe that's also a reason for anti-Semitism. So, there was no cholent. Okay, Baruch Hashem. You mean there was an existence without cholent? Okay, I didn't know. So you mean there could be existence without Cholent. That's a good thing. Depends if you live in Muncie or you live in Englewood or Mount Clare. Huh? Depends where you live. So the Big Bang, prebiotic soup. So first of all, why did it explode suddenly after 15.3 billion years ago? And who created the prebiotic soup and how did it come here? <laughs> <laughs> and before the Big Bang so we say we'll figure it out one day what are you going to figure out one day actually there are theories about 
It's always yesh, 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 yesh. And then you have a question, and the first yesh. And the first yesh. So at some point, this is a muna. Muna means that I'm comfortable with the fact that the first yesh, what's responsible for it is not another yesh, but ayin. And ayin is not defined by yesh at all. But what that really means is that the yesh doesn't exist. And that's very humbling. And that's its ultimate existence. And I will fight tooth and nail to uh, resist that. So when al Rebbe says here the difference of yesh 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 it's no small uh, description. It's, it's very powerful. On the other hand, you have to understand that yesh yesh is tremendous. Because till to get to chachma, it's big. Kulam b'chachma sis. Chachma is the first yesh. That's big. That's not a small. That's not a sm- small growth. That's unbelievable growth. But still, at some point, the chachma, which chachma is not physical, chachma is not soup. Chachma is is is, is transcendent energy. Chachma is spiritual energy. It's actually divine energy. But yet, that comes from ayin. Yeah, in the real Chayim. In real Chayim. O Bacharta Bachayim in real Chayim. Okay. Everybody have a wonderful day. This wasn't the plan. The plan was to learn the next piece, but uh, we didn't even do the Kitzah. I was thinking when I started, should I first summarize Yesh Miyash and then do the Kitzah? Or maybe first the Kitzah? I decided let me do the summary fast and then. Uh, but as they say, the yesh developed into another yesh and another yesh and another yesh and another yesh. <laughs> you see, when in Mishnah, you have in Mishnah is five words, and in Gemara it could be ten pages, right? In Chumash it could be one letter, and then there's a whole sugya in Gemara expanding that letter. So it's a, it's a developmental process. That's a great question, but why are you not comfortable with the question? It's a very good question. That's the nekuda. That the nekuda of the eye is not yesh, it's ayin. Ani oisis ayin. That some tzedek writes in Derech Mitzvah Kol inyan hachsidus, lasus me ani ayin. The whole inyan of chsidus is to make from ani ayin. Esiz nishtokin ich. That's the nekuda. I'm letting go of everything that's not I, because the real Ani is Ayin. But as I explained, you also have to hold on to the Yesh. You have to hold that into your hand, because, because that's a particular way in which the Ani exists. A practical example? I'm experiencing yeah. pressure. I'll give you a practical example. Again, it's not the perfect example, but it's a Sinyan. Let's say you're experiencing tremendous pressure, okay, from work or from the house or from the kids or from the marriage or from yourself or from your family, from your parents, whatever it is, your siblings, a business venture, a certain situation, right? That sensation, that emotional experience is taking me over and it's real. (laughs) It's not fake. I'm stressed. I'm anxious, right? Is there an ability for me 
not to eliminate it and not to judge it and not to criticize it and not to take a hammer and hit it over its head because that's not going to help. We'll just repress it. But really to be able to create space for it, to have compassion for it, to be an empathetic witness to this emotion, to this sensation in my body, even to breathe into it, to give it oxygen, to let it live. And yet in that process, also to be able to ground myself and to tune in to my own eye. And what do I mean? To tune into the fact that there's an eye that's observing this stress. There's an eye that's observing this anxiety. There's an eye that's watching this pressure mount. And that eye is not the pressure, because if it was the pressure, it wouldn't observe it. <laughs> it's almost like the eye, I as an eye, E-Y-E, or I as an eye, that's watching but what I'm watching is not my eye. I don't see my eye. <laughs> my eye sees your eye. <laughs> right? My eye, I as in E-Y-E, and I as in I, I'm watching the pressure. So it's almost like I'm juggling two states. There's a state of consciousness where I am rooted in a place of serenity and oneness. That's I in. And then there's another place where I'm very, very entangled by this pressure. Now, if I go back, I could trace back. Where's this pressure coming from? Yesh, miyesh, ilava olu. All the way to the thoughts and ideas that are creating it. And that's a beautiful process. And it doesn't contradict the fact that at that time you can also be connected to another part of you, actually your atzmius, which is attached, attached to yourself, attached to Hashem and attached to the people you want to be attached. Even in a relationship itself. Let's say you're very angry at your child. They said something and you're really ticked off. You want to scream, you want to holler, you want to detach. Stop. Have empathy for your emotion, but then go to your place of ayin, where you don't want to be separate. You want to be connected. You don't want to be in a place of hate or anger. You want to be in a place of love. I'm angry. Your eye is watching your anger. So you can hold on to the yesh and have empathy for it and you can hold on to the ayin and embrace it. And by doing that, you bring the two a little closer. The process of ge'ula is where the juggling act starts working in perfect synchronization. Almost like when it comes down, it's ready to go back up. You know, the real juggler, there's no resistance, you know. He doesn't get stuck. It's like almost seamlessly goes down and up. You know, that seamless flow. Almost like the vicissitudes are part of a rhythm. It's seamless. I don't get stuck in any. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My awareness of the I becomes more pronounced and my yesh doesn't scare me. Sometimes. Our resistance to all of this can create a lot of suffering unnecessarily. There is pain that we can't escape. Ramchal. Ramchal on Hagas HaYichud. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is it. To bring the Yichud. To create the Yichud. In the seamless juggling act, the Yesh and the Ayin make Shalom. They make peace. Ani, I just told him that Samach Tzedek writes, Ani 
is the same letters like Ayin. And the Tzamech Tzedek writes that the whole function of Chassidus was to metamorphosize the Ani into Ayin. He even uses Yiddish words, Eshiz Nishtokin Ich. There's no I, meaning a separate I. I learned that uh, under, My brother told me a few days ago that uh, he was once uh, davening in a shul and he met an old chassid. He already passed away. His name was Rebelechayim Reitblatt. He was an old chassid. So he comes over to me and says, Rebelechayim, was hat chassidus gewalt? What did chassidus want? And he says, without skipping a beat, he looked at me and said, machen von der mani ayin. <laughs> to make from the ani ayin. <laughs> and he was very moved, you know, on the spot, like... He asked him this question right away. Machen for the mani ayin. And it, it, it translates into everything. To make from the ani ayin means that in every moment, I never get stuck in the ani orbit. Whatever it looks like. My anger, my pressure, my anxiety, my stress, which are real. They're all real. They're not fake. It's not like I'm trying to imagine them. And yet, I don't let my eye get stuck in that. I could see it as a process of yesh, and I can go back to the inner ayin and bring the two worlds closer and closer. It's a good way to live. It's a very good way to live. That's beautiful. So you're saying when the electrons are stuck in one orbit, it's very rigid. They have to drop. Yeah. Because of pressure sometimes. <laughs> the light gets emitted, you're saying. The air comes out, yeah. Yeah. Um, Moisar, we say in the davening in the morning, um, right? What makes an Adam greater than a behema is nothing. Reb Meir Primishlan once said, a beautiful word. What makes an Adam greater than a behemoth is ayin. A person could say no. A behemoth can't say no. <laughs> you tell the lioness, you know, this sheep is a cute sheep. Leave her alone. No, 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 no. I have to eat. <laughs> right? You give the horse food, it eats. So most, when, when is a person greater than him? A person could say, I, and he could say, no. <laughs> On a deeper level, Moiser Adam and Abahema, Ayin, is this Nakud of Ayin. The Bahama can't choose to go to Ayin. The Bahama is, 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 is a manifestation of the Yesh in a beautiful way. Well, there's levels. There's levels. Every time a person is challenges their chitzonius and goes into pnimius. It's an akud of ayin. Ayin is not one image. The akud of ayin is the journey away from being stuck in a particular image of who I am and what my life is about. Going out of that is very courageous. Ezo gibber It's Rewriting your story. Having the courage to rewrite it. Yes. 
Yes. And sometimes I'm not in a position where I can rewrite the story, but I'm in a position of saying, I have to be open to a different story, even though I don't know what that is. But I'm not going to stay stuck in this story. I don't have an alternative story. And that's also very powerful. I don't have another story. You have to be open to the new story. That's what he meant. You always have to be careful of people exploiting you, but real ayin is not about, it's not about uh, you become a, a, a doormat. On the contrary. Hashem is not a doormat. Real ayin means, I'm, on the contrary, I'm not defined. I'm not stuck in anything. It doesn't mean I'm a shmata, so step on me, beat me, smack me, steal my money. That's not ayin. That's a wounded yesh. That's a wounded yesh. It's very different. Of course, you know your value, you know your mission. And it's not that I'm not going to let you step on me because I'm arrogant. And it's it's Because if, if I let you step on me, then I'm not me. I have to be me. I have to... I have to do what I have to do. Huh? You're not juggling. You, you, you just become a shmata, so now you're more stuck. So that's a wounded yesh. A wounded yesh is not ayin. Ayin is not a wounded yesh. Ayin is an emancipated yesh. An emancipated yesh. A liberated yesh, yeah. Get a little bit yeshish. Al-Tabra says that the Nisham is a chilek. Here, we're explaining right? A chalik sounds like a drop of water in the ocean, but here we're saying it's right. How does that? But a drop of water in the ocean. It'll become clearer later. The word chalik alaka is trying to bring on a certain point. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.